Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader Stay Home Puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Hey, bonus time at the Ben Jarofsky show. Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, January 25th. God damn, is it cold out? Anyway, I'm uh, headlining today's. I'm reading this off the Huffington Post. Uh, Eric Clapton claims people who receive COVID-19 vaccines are under mass hypnosis. Rock stars! Weighing in on medicine. He's a mediocre rock stars, I might say. Mediocre uh, classic rock stars weighing in uh, on medicine. That's just one of the topics I've got. I'm dying to get to our full agenda with my distinguished guest uh, who's making time on a very busy schedule uh, to show up for us. So I really appreciate her a lot. So distinguished guests, introduce yourself with your new introduction, which I can't wait to hear. And then we will rock and roll. Take it away. I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm a board member. I'm a I'm a member of the editorial board at the Chicago Sun Times, and a columnist. Okay, you're going to yes. see a lot of her columns. She's not editing other people's copy anymore. She's writing the copy. She's in the driver's seat. I'll see how you like that one, Ramana. When you start getting those angry, mean, nasty letters from readers, going, "What are you talking about?" Anyway, before you, how's it been? It's been you've been in the job for like a week now. Do I have that right? Um, yeah, yeah, it's been about a week. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm getting used to it. I figure it'll take me about a full month before I'm finally comfortable with it. But um, this week is a little easier than last week. But yeah, it's 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 taking some getting used to because you have to use a different part of your brain when you're writing editorials. And thinking that way, um, we were actually talking about uh, today about coming up with ideas. And, you know, I know for me right now, it's a little hard because I'm like, okay, do I talk about this or do I talk about that? And, uh, you know, uh, one of our board members were just saying how everything is COVID related these days. And that has dominated a lot of our news. And so it does limit, um, you know, what we're talking about, what we're writing about. But this is part of our world now and a big part of the news. So, you know, it it, it does take a, a while for us to get, um, 
you know, ideas. And actually, um, when I was talking to you about Eric Clapton earlier today, I I posed that to my boss and said, hey, you know, I kind of wanted to talk about how I grew up listening to classic rock music. And all of a sudden, um, these middle-aged classic rockers, I don't even know if they're middle-aged now, they're more like elderly, are talking about, um, you know, I'll have all these strong stances on uh, the vaccine and, you know, mass. And so, you know, it's it's going. So we're, I, I posed that idea to her and she goes, how many of them are talking about it? I'm like, haven't you heard about Eric Clapton? Which I actually uh, did mention before to her. And, uh, you know, I know we'll talk a little bit about that. So she was like, how many of them are talking about it? I'm like, almost every day you hear about Eric Clapton coming up with a new conspiracy theory or new song about how he's against lockdowns and vaccines. So it's been interesting. Well, it, um, okay. So let's do it. We have, uh, three things I really want to cover in today. Uh, so, uh, they, they are old. Let's just call it for what it is. They are old. <laughs> all right. Uh, and they don't have young minds. That's and, and they're all mediocre talents. And I know, uh, my dear friend, your husband, Mick would vehemently disagree with me on this one. Uh, but that I'll have him on the show and he can defend it. But, uh, there are three, uh, classic rock stars, uh, who have taken a position on this. One is dead. Uh, that would be meatloaf. Uh, Eric Clapton is the other one, the, the mediocre guitarist. Um, and then the third one, the one who has, in my humble opinion, the most talent of the bunch, uh, is Van Morrison, uh, who, uh, is Eric Clapton's partner in crime on this. So we're also going to get into Hugh Hefner. Let's not forget that. And we will also talk about an editorial you wrote that I'm really obsessively interested in the story, Nina Tokenberg, uh, and her squabble with the Supreme court. But let's start with, uh, rock stars behaving badly in my humble opinion. Uh, and, uh, I read the headline and Eric Clapton is weighing in and this has been going on for a while as Ramona pointed out for at least a year. Uh, he has been grumbling about, uh, having to get vaccinated, wearing masks. He feels unfair that people have to be vaccinated to get into a concert hall. At one point he said he wouldn't play, uh, in a concert uh, hall, a venue where they required, uh, vaccinations. Uh, he thinks it, it's some great injustice. Ramana, I'm struck how somebody who's pushing 80 uh, and has lived through so much carnage, so much injustice, racism, environmental catastrophes would view something as innocuous as getting a vaccine as the end all of existence. That man has had a very, very privileged life. If this Getting a vaccine is the worst thing he has seen in his 80-some years of life, and he's pushing 80. That's my general thoughts on Eric Clapton. What's your general thoughts on this? Yeah, I just don't know why he's all of a sudden taking a strong stance on this. I mean, we know we talked about um, his, uh, you know, his, you know, rambling, um, racist rambling that apparently took place in the 70s and he blamed it on drugs. And so my whole thing is here we have someone who's probably tried every drug imaginable. That's my guess. And, you know, he's wrote, written a song called Cocaine. So he's okay with putting certain things in his body. But when it comes to a vaccine of a deadly disease, he's all of a sudden all upset about it. And it's just been interesting about because there's so many articles written about Eric Clapton all of a sudden because he's coming out, you know, him and Van Morrison came out with a song um, against lockdowns. And so now there's this new interview that Eric Clapton ge gave 
um, I think like a few days ago. And he basically, you know, he talks about, you know, he had, he got the vaccine and he feels like he was kind of conned into getting the vaccine. And he said that ever since I got the vaccine, he said that we're people who've gotten the vaccine are basically under some sort of hip, hip, (laughs) hypnosis. And they were getting subliminal messages about getting the vaccines. Um, Yes, those are called advertisements and push from the, you know, the medical community telling us to get vaccinated so we can save ourselves from this deadly disease all over the world. It, and so it's, it's just, it's just crazy. And then Meatloaf is another rock star that recently died. Um, and my husband, Mick, I told him that I didn't know who Meatloaf was until the 90s when Meatloaf had that song that said, I would do anything but love, but I won't do that. That's the first time I ever heard of Meatloaf. And Mick is like, how can you he was like so popular when we were little kids. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe the teenagers of the family friends <laughs> I had, they didn't want to listen to me or I just turned it off. So I had no idea who he was until I was in my 20s. And so then, you know, Meatloaf died um, last week and a lot of people were talking about it. And TMZ, which does a lot of articles on these celebrity deaths and usually is pretty right about it. They, they said that he actually died of COVID. And the family, I don't think, has released the exact cause of death, but he, Meatloaf was someone that was very anti-mask and anti-vax. And he said something like, well, if I die, I die, but at least I died with, you know, having my freedom. So I I don't know. I just find it interesting. I want to know if Eric Clapton or um, Van Morrison or Meatloaf were ever actually vaccinated for anything else in their lives before, which I'm guaranteeing they did. You know, they came out when the polio, they were alive when the polio vaccine came out. I'm sure they, their parents made them get the polio vaccine and I'm sure they've had vaccines for all these other things. Meanwhile, Neil Young, I don't know if you heard about Neil Young, but he's the hero in all of this. But yesterday he, um, there was an, uh, a story going around on the internet. Neil Young was trending and it said that he told his management that he wants to be taken off Spotify if the podcast featuring Joe Rogan, who's been spreading anti-vax messages or misinformation about vax messages, are on Spotify. So he's like, it's either me or Joe Rogan, but I want off if Joe Rogan's still on. So it's interesting how like all these like, you know, so far we're hearing a lot of anti-vaxxers with the classic rocker set, but then there's also, you know, the Neil Young's that are coming out and they're very strong about how they feel. So it's, it's been interesting because these, I look, except for meatloaf, I listen, I did listen to a lot of the songs by these other artists. I do like Layla by Eric Clapton and some other songs. I admit that's a good song, but he's kind of, he's kind of, he's kind of made me annoyed by him the last couple of months, years, year, I want to say. I don't agree with you. Layla's a pretty good song, but in my opinion, it's uh, it's all due to uh, the great Dwayne Allman. Dwayne Allman, all power to you, who died in 1971, so he didn't live long enough to uh, make any of these really dumb comments. And I, I have a feeling he wouldn't. And let me just say this about Neil Young. Neil Young is always coming to the rescue of classic rockers who say stupid things. He was the one, you know, who battled uh, Le- Leonard Skinner. This is a great debate between Mick and me, and I feel like uh, Neil Young mopped the floor with Leonard Skinner. Everybody knows that. Uh so anyway, yes. Uh, all right. Now, here's the thing I want to get your thoughts on. I've been thinking about this. So Eric Clapton said there's this mass hypnosis formation, okay? And this is like uh, he's picking up on something that other people uh, in the anti-vax movement has said, which is interesting because he's accusing 
the vaxxers of being under a mass hypnosis by repeating uh, some hypnotic words he's been hearing from the anti-vaxxers. There, there's a compulsion on the part of anti-vaxxers to make it seem like they are the normal ones and the people who get the vaccine are pawns in some uh, man's game. Sheep. That's what I've heard. Yes. That's what I've heard. Sheep. Yes. And and in, in Eric Clapton's latest, uh, um, you know, interview, he's basically <laughs> saying, I'm not against or for the vaccine. I'm for freedom. And so it's like they're using these words like freedom, like saying that we're the rest of us. Like, it's like, OK, so if you're sick and you take um, medicine, what does that have to do with? freedom. It's like you're just taking something to pre- be preventative. It's preventative medicine. I mean, getting the vaccine can help you from being deathly sick and actually die. So it's it's funny how the language that they're using, you know, Meatloaf also said, like, you know, if I die, I die, but at least I, you know, had my freedom. And it's like, okay, so you've never had surgery or you never have gotten any sort of medical intervention, it's 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 just funny how this has taken, you know, this has shown so many so many people's sides that don't make sense. It has it defies logic, if you ask me. It does defy logic, and um, uh, and and it is curious that there's this impulse to make. Uh, it's like a giant game of gaslighting. No, I'm not the weird one. You're the weird one. I'm not the one who's under control of a weird cult. You are. And uh, so they're trying to project on us what they're doing. And you're absolutely correct. Uh, you cannot find anything else in med- medicine or very few other things in medicine that they have this level of questioning. Uh, for instance, like you break your arm. You know, is there an alternative uh, to getting a cast? I mean, I've never seen in my life, really, this amount of mass hysteria uh, and over a medical procedure that seems pretty much straightforward. And Romani can't argue with them. I mean, there's just, you're not going to convince them. Do you follow what I'm saying? What I'm scared of is that their insistence uh, and their vehemence is pushing the conversation in their direction. And so I'm watching politicians responding in such a way. Um, for instance, the governor of Virginia, the newly elected governor of Virginia, uh, had an executive order that said schools could not require children to wear masks. And do you see what I'm saying? It's like mainstream politicians are playing to uh, this fringe, and that's to me ultimately more frightening than whatever nonsense is inside <laughs> Eric Clapton's brain. I, th- I think for a lot of people, it's like, God, this is someone who's a revered musician. I know whether we, we like him or not, it's just coming out of this person's mouth. And I think, I, I think the fact that he's like, you know, indulged in so many different pharmaceuticals, it's kind of it. it coming out. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the governor of Florida, didn't he say that um, he said that children aren't required to have any sort of vaccines, not just the, um, you know, coronavirus vaccine, but any vaccines. So it is a lot of these leaders kind of, you know, 
saying what we years ago would have thought the f- this is just something on the fringe. It's kind of become the norm for a lot of people. I mean, for you and I, it isn't, but it's become, it's slowly becoming the norm. Like, you know, like we were talking about it a few weeks ago about how someone not taking, you know, anti-vax, we should call them vax vaccine hesitant. Like, why do we have to use that language? They're anti-vaxxers. And that's the thing. It's like, there's so many of them. We have to even talk, sit there and talk about the language we're using. So it's, 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 you know, we're not going to be, you know, coronavirus, of course, is not going to leave. It's, you know, it's always going to be there now. It's a part of our lives, but we're not going to get over this hurdle of, you know, there are people talking about how there's, you know, curbing their freedom and going out. It's like, yeah, we won't, the rest of us won't be able to go out and try to live a normal life until the rest of you get vaccinated. So, yeah. And, uh, uh, by the way, I want to give a shout out to David Ferris, who's, uh, is, uh, every other week with Romana, he, we drop his interviews, uh, and, uh, on this topic, his wife and uh, son each got COVID. Uh, and so I feel really bad for him. And so David, I hope you and your family are doing well. This is a very serious, uh, pandemic, no joke. All right. Before we leave, uh, Eric Clapton and meatloaf behind, I have to ask you for your thoughts on Howard Stern. And his response, I don't know if you saw this, Howard Stern has, uh, as he's gotten older, unlike Eric Clapton, Eric Clapton has moved to the right. Howard Stern has moved to the left, and he's basically a Hillary Clinton liberal. Uh, and, in, and I'm uh, paraphrasing, uh, he, uh, he said uh, some strong words about Meatloaf, saying that Meatloaf uh, got sucked into some weird uh, cult and that uh, meat lo- anybody who refuses to get vaccinated uh, should lose their rights to be taken into a hospital uh, and be treated because it's the, the warnings are out there. They know what the stakes are. They choose to defy what all 99% of the uh, medical professionals tell them they choose to believe something that is just universally on the opposite to the opposite of what the doctors are saying. So they should not uh, be allowed to be treated at a hospital. What's your thoughts about those strong words from Howard Stern? Yeah, I've actually heard that argument or have seen like, you know, people arguing back and forth on Twitter on this subject matter because a lot of people feel like, well, if people refuse to get vaccinated, they shouldn't be getting treated for coronavirus. Um, I think that's a little more of a sensitive issue because I think everybody should be treated. But the thing is, a lot of people who refuse to get vaccinated, they are jamming up the hospital, you know, hospitals we have. And that's changing the way, you know, doctors are working in terms of other surgeries that they're doing, other people that they're treating. So it's something that needs to be addressed. But I don't think, I don't know, I don't think we're at that stage where we should be turning people away right now. It is a very sad situation. And I've heard of, um, at least anecdotally, people saying that when people are on their deathbeds dying from coronavirus at the hospitals, they're asking if they could get the vaccine now and it's too late. So I don't know. I, I, I have heard what Howard Stern was saying. I have heard other people saying as well. And people are arguing about it. But I think that debate is going to go on. And I think people are going to talk about this more and more every time we have a surge and our hospitals are just jam-packed. Well, and we'll move from this topic to the next one. But I just have to say that uh, each surge, as you pointed out, uh, has different challenges. And so far... Uh, the challenges haven't completely overwhelmed the vaccine. 
my fear, of course, is that uh, eventually they will, and that would be a catastrophe. You talk about overwhelmed hospitals. If suddenly it's not just the unvaccinated who are being rushed to hospitals, but the vaccinated. So uh, just to make you feel any even worse than we already feel about this subject, there's always that yeah. fear uh, that lingers, which is why, of course, it's so important to try to get it controlled now, despite what Dr. Eric Clapton has to say. All right. You wrote uh, an editorial, and I knew it was you. I could, I could sense your voice uh, in the editorial. Uh, and I was like obsessing over this story anyway, cause it deals so much with like, uh, information that public institutions put out, how newspapers or, uh, news media, uh, handle, uh, off the record sources, uh, and what happens when the message is something that the person who leaked the story in the first place doesn't want anything to do with. So what do they do? They throw the reporter under the bus. Uh, and uh, this is a, a summation of the saga between uh, Nina Totenberg, the longtime legendary um, NPR Supreme Court correspondent, uh, Sonia Sotomayor, the, uh, uh, the justice, Neil Gorsuch, another justice, and uh, Chief Justice um, John Roberts. You wrote a, a pretty interesting uh, editorial about this. Uh, why don't you take it away, tell people uh, more of the uh, details, and then I'll uh, zip in with some questions. Sure. First of all, I have to say I may or may not have written that editorial because I don't know what the rules are for that, but but I'm, I'm joking. That very I don't know. <laughs> but I, mean, I said, oh, Ramona <laughs> wrote that. Yeah. But, 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 you know, it's okay. We can talk a little bit about that. So a few days ago, I think it was last last week, early last week, um, these stories started popping up on the internet about um, Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch showing up without a mask. And the NPR NPR had an article about quoting sources, didn't name them, saying that he refused to wear a mask. And the chief judge, um, Roberts, had asked everybody on the um, Supreme Court to wear the mask when there was in-person arguments. And... Neil Gorsuch decided he didn't want to wear one. This is according to the NPR article. And Sonia Sotomayor suffers from diabetes, which makes her more vulnerable if she gets coronavirus. So the NPR story had said that Judge Sotomayor, Chief Justice Sotomayor, had actually... um, was going to... was attending these in-person... was actually attending these in-person arguments via telephone. So that was the whole thing is that she basically changed the way she was working because of Neil Gorsuch's decision. So the story comes out, people are weighing in on it. um, And then when I may or may not have been writing the editorial, um, the the two justices, Neil Gorsuch and uh, Justice Sotomayor had put out a joint statement and the Judge Sotomayor was saying, I never told Neil Gorsuch to wear a mask. And then NPR shot back saying, well, we never said it was you. We said it was the Chief Justice, Chief Judge, who was actually the one telling everybody or requesting that they should put a mask on. So like maybe an hour later, the Chief Judge Roberts puts out that, I actually never asked anybody to do this either. 
And then, you know, it's just like a lot of back and forth and it makes you wonder what's going on. I mean, there's no way. I mean, we have heard of reporters making up stories, but I did not believe that NPR would just come up with that story without talking to people. She she clearly gotten these uh, sources from the Supreme Court telling her the story and she wasn't the only one with the story. So I just thought it was interesting that there was all this damage, quote unquote, damage control because of you know the mass gate, and it, it was it, it was just interesting that it was going on. And then you, as you pointed out, NPR then pu- put out a statement clarifying information in their story. So I it it, it was. For something that, you know, a lot of people, it was something that was a talker type of story. It became a bigger deal than it was because of all these statements that came out. And so that made you scratch your head and thought, made you think, okay, so are they all trying to get their story straight or trying to show that they have this unified front, even though there's like a bunch of conservatives on on the Supreme Court and those that totally disagree with <laughs> a lot of those conservatives. So yeah, I, I just thought it was, I thought it was pretty funny. And this is something, you know, this is the Supreme Court. This is the highest court in the land. And, you know, we hear these you know, we always hear these stories about you going to the grocery store or somebody going to the restaurant. There's somebody refusing to wear their mask. And we hear we have this problem on the highest court of the land at the Supreme Court. And even then, when the story comes out, people are saying, well, he said, she said, or he said he didn't say that. And it's just it, it, it it's kind of it's kind of amusing in a way and also sad and reflective of the society we live in. And like I said, this is the highest court of the land. If they if they can't even get someone to wear a mask on that, you know, on the Supreme Court, good luck with the rest of us. That was a great riff, by the way. Uh, yes, you're right. They're getting their stories. And I was nodding my head vigorously when she was saying that. Um, you know, the funny thing is, there's so many little funny uh, bits on this is uh, the compulsion that Sotomayor and Neil Gorsuch uh, felt uh, to clarify, clear up any notion that people might have that they don't get along. And I find this, I've studied dysfunctional families uh, for pretty much my entire life. Um, Some might say because I have such firsthand experience with the phenomenon. But one of the things that uh, many families uh, has is a need to put the best face forward, even if it just flies in the face of reality. And so I remember, you know, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and uh, Anatin Scalia particularly Ginsburg, felt compelled to say, oh, no, we're friends. We love opera. We go to the opera together. They're completely diametrically opposed on all philosophical beliefs. But no, we we put that aside. We'll watch TV shows together and go out for dinner. And my husband loved his wife, etc. And I'm like, come on, man. It just True. makes all the rest of us look bad. True. You and, know what and, I'm saying? Like, yeah. <laughs> and those two justices, you, I, I forgot to mention that, you know, you brought that up is that they did, you know, this, nothing in the story, nothing in the NPR story mentioned that they didn't get along, but in their statement, you know, they stress that even though we disagree politically, we like each other and we're friends. And it's like, what does that have to do with anything? This has to do with wearing a mask and the request that the chief judge made. So the, the statement didn't even, the first statement that came out by Judge Sotomayor and Gorsuch, basically what they said didn't negate anything that the NPR, that the NPR report said. So, Absolutely. yeah, so yeah, that, you're totally right about that. That is a great point. That. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, the lady doth protest too much, to quote Shakespeare. When they came out, all of a sudden, oh, I love him, and we love each other, even though we disagree. I'm like, what does that got to do? You're, <laughs> you're, 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 you're pushing that I love Gorsuch a little too much. I think you're covering something up there, and I don't blame you for disliking Gorsuch. Good God, the way he got in. I mean, he's the guy that got in because they blocked Merrick Garland. I don't know any liberal in America who likes Neil Gorsuch except for Sotomayor, and I don't believe she likes him. And the man was not wearing a mask. And you know what's funny, though? Uh, Right-wing America went with that story and ran with it. Like, NPR got it wrong. I got about a million emails from various, give me money. You know, they go, NPR got it wrong. Give me money. You know, that's the next thing. Uh, But, man, they threw... Nina Totenberg under a bus. Then they drove over her. She's the reporter who broke the story for NPR. And I'm with you. I believe she had a good source. I believe the source was probably one of the people who said uh, that denied the story. Has that ever happened to you, Romana, where a source said, I'm going to tell you something off the record. And then when the, when your story came out, they got embarrassed by it and they issued a denial and you had to sit there and go, okay, I'm on to you. Has that ever happened to you? I think I don't think it's ever happened to me on a large scale level, but there's been times where someone said something and then they kind of like after it's in print or online, they're like, well, I actually didn't say that. I'm trying to clarify. And then they tried to get me to change what I had. And I, I think the one or two times I had, I, I didn't change it. So, yeah, that's happened to me, but not on a higher level where that was like the nut graph of the story. But it was like, you know, a quote they said, they're like, well, I never said that, you know. And it's usually when they were talking about someone else or criticizing someone else. It's like maybe they got a phone call from someone higher up, their bosses, and we're, su- we're supposed to play nice and put out a nice statement. Well, I've had people tell me this. They'll say to me, all right, look, I'm going to tell you something. But if uh, you run it, I'm going to deny I said it. I've had actually people tell yeah. me, and then they'll tell me, this guy's a so-and-so. And <laughs> but if you print it, I'm going to deny I said it. I'm like, well, what's the point of you saying it then? <laughs> I know. Worthless. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, I, th- I Okay, let me do a cl- one of my favorite uh, famous clarifications. I'm not – I don't know for certain that Romana Hussein wrote that editorial. In fact – I'm very uncertain. There's the editorials are unsigned. So for all I know, somebody else wrote it. Uh, so let me just issue that clarification. Uh, all right, Hugh Hefner. Uh, you went on a great riff uh, earlier today when we were uh, talking about what we were going to talk about and it had to do with the fact we're getting to Romana's recommendations. There's a TV show coming out about Hugh Hefner. I said a documentary, I guess. And you went on this incredible riff about Hugh Hefner from the vantage point of somebody a generation down. You're a younger than a baby boomer, so you didn't grow up in that world where Hef was so venerated. Uh, why don't you share with listeners uh, your thoughts on Hugh Hefner, the, the, obviously the founder of Playboy? So I actually um, started watching right before I came on, jumped on this podcast today. I watched the first two episodes of this documentary that came out. It's called Secrets of Playboy and it's on A&E. And I guess the first two episodes aired yesterday and yesterday and uh, the next two are coming out next week. And I think that's how it's going to come out. It's a 10 part episode. And the creators of the show thought it was going to be something completely different. But all these women Former girlfriends, um, former, you know, Playboy bunnies, uh, former staff members, 
are all on the show talking about how Hugh Hefner was very controlling, actually. And even though he, you know, said that he was, um, you know, promoting free speech and women's liberation, he actually wasn't. He wasn't very, it was very controlling. The way he treated his girlfriends was very manipulative. And so I, I don't know, as someone who grew up um, a Generation Xer and uh, a woman who's a heterosexual female, I never was interested in that world. I knew that um, Hugh Hefner, and this is something they talk about, they did say that he was someone that, um, you know, they talked about, you know, he was, talked a lot about civil rights in his articles because there were articles in Playboy, as a lot of people said, you know, Malcolm X was um, interviewed. There's been other, um, Muhammad Ali was, uh, you know, there's a was a profile on him him and and a lot of these interviews ended up becoming really big and they actually touch upon that in in the first part of the documentary but there was also a darker side i think when he died in 2017 um you know there was an older generation where they were like oh you know he totally changed the world and he was the champion of you know sexual liberation he changed the way people thought but then there was a lot of people women especially that were my generation and younger saying how actually, no, he objectified women and the portrayal that he showed of women and the sexuality was from a very heterosexual male viewpoint. And it was very sexist at the end of the day. And I used to watch this show called um, Girls Next Door for anybody who used to watch um, the E! Entertainment Network. It was um, a reality show. It was a really dumb reality show. And me and my younger sister would watch it to kind of make fun of it. And it was basically, Hugh Hefner always had a throng of girlfriends. He only, he didn't have one girlfriend. He always had to show that he was this, like, he was this, such an attractive, you know, fun-loving man that he had, like, six or seven girlfriends at one time. And so this show showed his latest round of girlfriends in 2001 and two, it was 2001 to 2005 or six. Anyway, it was a really funny show to watch because he was like kind of could barely walk and these women were in their 20s and you could tell that he was kind of forcing them to do things, you know, like watch like these old black and white movies with them. And then like later on, you find out the one woman that was on the show that was supposed to be the chief girlfriend, she ended up writing a book and just saying how she was controlled. They had curfews. They couldn't leave um, the mansion until nine o'clock. And I was just watching an episode and they kind of focused her on her in one episode. And she said she once cut her hair and Hugh Hefner just yelled at her. She had, you know, put on red lipstick and he, he started complaining about, you know, he didn't like red lipstick on her. So he was very controlling about way the, the way these women live their lives. And so they, we were talking about a cult earlier. And so one of the things that the, a lot of these women are talking about is how stuff that happened at the Playboy Mansion which a lot of stuff was illegal. There was a lot of, um, there was also um, people who were assaulted there. They said it was a cult-like um, atmosphere at the mansion and how people revered Hugh Hefner as this guru. And he was always portrayed as this great man, but in reality, it was a totally different picture. And this one young woman who lived at the mansion when she was, since she was six years old, her dad was um, Hugh Hefner's doctor. She just talked about how when she was younger, she looked at him in a different viewpoint and a different sort of light. But the older she got, the more she realized she was living in a very um, fake world where there was a lot of controlling and manipulation and how he was 
also lecherous towards her when she was a very young woman. So it's it's a very interesting documentary. I think um, a lot of the women on there, they're they're credible sources. They're they're Hugh Hefner's like girlfriends, and he would have cameras in the house all over the place. So you know, a lot of times these women were intoxicated, given drugs. Um, he called quaaludes um, leg spreaders, and so um, these women were in you know various states of undress. Um, you know, while they're under the influence. So he had cameras everywhere. So he would have pictures of these women. So if anybody threatened to talk about what happened inside the mansion, anything that wrong that happened inside the mansion, he would threaten them because he said that he had these pictures of them. They said he did that with journalists too. He'd invite them to all these like, you know, parties. And then, you know, they would do, you know, these journalists would probably do something and then he'd have footage of it. So if they ever wanted to reveal anything that happened there, he'd have the footage and said, and so he kind of controlled the narrative of him being this fun loving guy, you know, wearing a robe. I remember growing up and seeing articles like, <clears throat> you know, revering him in the Tribune and the Sun Times. And usually these articles were written by middle-aged men, you know, putting Hugh Hefner on this pedestal, like, wow, this guy's had it all, you know, he, what a lucky guy. He's like, he, he's living the life. And it was, I don't know. I just always felt uncomfortable with it. And um, I, I'm just watching this documentary. A lot of people are saying it's kind of opening the light. I mean, we were talking about Jeffrey Epstein, and I'm getting hints of Jeff Jeffrey Epstein watching this Hugh Hefner documentary. So I do recommend it. You know, there's there's people on the show who are defending him, too. But I think the fact that a lot of these women are saying that, no, we actually lived this life you should listen to us. I think it's pretty interesting. And, you know, he never was charged with a crime and they have that disclaimer in the documentary so far, but it, you know, I think a lot of what the women are saying is very tell telling and, and they are very, they're very, very credible so far what I've seen. Yeah. And I, uh, I gotta say, go, just going back to, I took a note on this, uh, that he got journalists in compromising positions and used that to blackmail them, keep them from writing, uh, revealing profiles. I don't think any of those journalists were anywhere about to write a revealing profile. <laughs> uh, one of the things, uh, I could tell you this right now. I'm a, again, so I'm a generation ahead of you, but behind these guys. All right. So I watched this and people did love the glow of, oh, of course. the playboy uh, and they wanted to be invited and it, an invitation to the playboy mansion, uh, here when it was here in Chicago. And then uh, when I, when he moved to LA, that was like a high point in someone's life. And so I can't imagine a working journalist in the city of Chicago who once invited into there would ever like do anything to ruin his chance to be invited back again. You know what I'm saying? So they didn't have to get them in revealing compromising situations <laughs> That's to, true. by their silence. Their silence was bought and owned. They put him in those revealing situations because, because probably he's a weird guy and wanted to look at those weird footage. Uh, so, you know, but, uh, you know, it's a really trippy thing, Hugh Hefner. I was never really into the Playboy mystique, but a lot of kids were. Uh, and uh, like the whole Hef there was a show when uh, when I was a kid, way before you you were born, uh, called uh, Playboy After Dark, and it's so it was a talk show. Came on in Chicago it was after Cup Show, which, uh, and uh, you know Hefner would like it would be a party at the Playboy Mansion, and like. The coolest people were there. Like I don't. Dick Cavett would be there. James Baldwin would be there. Norman Mailer would be there. You know, like the just like 
if you were cool and you were in Chicago, you came to the mansion. So the notion of any journalist blowing <laughs> his or her opportunity to be part of that. True, uh, true. You know, man, journalists, don't get me started. Uh, but yeah, man, another one bites the dust. It's, um, you know what I'm saying, uh, Ramana? The, the icons of my youth are not holding up very well, I got to say, to scrutiny uh, as we move on. Uh, to the next generation. I, I don't know if I'll have the stomach to watch that, uh, that, that documentary, but uh, it is, it is really, dis- it is really disturbing. So um, I would warn anybody, I'm sure there's people who are watching it and might want, not want to watch it, but I, I've, I've been watching it so far. It, it's gotten good reviews. So I thought I would take a look. All right. We'll close with uh, a little something that uh, Ramana introduced me to. I'm always about uh, five steps behind at uh, least what everybody else is doing. Uh, and so uh, today, I, for the first time ever, I played the game uh, Wordle, which uh, until Ramana told me about, I'd never even heard of. I'm a little embarrassed to admit. Uh, so Ramana, you're, uh, you're sort of the wordle expert around here. How long, (laughs) how did you find out about it? How long have you? I'm actually, I'm actually to the game too, because I just started this week. So, um, if you're on social media, um, either on Twitter or on Facebook, all of a sudden there was a lot of people sharing their wordle score for the day. And to me, it made no sense when I was looking at what they were posting. I'm like, what is that? And so I, you know, we're, we talk about the pandemic and things we do during the pandemic to stave us off the boredom. But um, I have a different, I have different, several different chat groups with the different groups of friends. And we, one of our groups of friends started talking about Wordle and if we were playing it and I was confused about how to play it. And so basically it's a word game and it's a five letter word you have to guess. And there's only one game a day. So you only guess one word a day and you have six chances to guess the word. And so you just come up with the word the first time. And if you get any of the letters right, if it's a green letter and you see it in a certain space, that means it's in the space where it's supposed to be. If you get a yellow letter, that means that letter is in the word, but it's not in the right space. So you have six chances. And today's word was, Ben, you got on the second try. Uh, today's while W H I L E. Oh no, it? no, no! I got sugar today. Oh, that that was the one I had. Oh, okay, maybe it's a different. <laughs> but the I the, a different the test. one the ones me and my friends got. Oh, you know what they they do change they do change in different times of the day. But maybe Uh-oh. that's the word for I tomorrow. I just gave it away. <laughs> well, this show won't but air. It so. won't air. But anyway, so basically that's. That's the game. And this the guy who invented the game, um, you know, his significant other or wife enjoyed um, word games. So he actually kind of came up with the word game for her. And they played this together for a while. And then I guess it went public in the fall, maybe, or soon after. And so it's kind of become uh, another thing that we're doing the pandemic. You know how there was Tiger King? So this is basically Wordle. Wordle is, has been the Tiger King for the last month or so, where everybody's like sharing their scores and everybody knows. Everybody's kind of learning how to play it. Um, but it's 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 been pretty fun so far. I, I I told Mick about it. He actually helped me with my first one, but he hasn't really joined in on it. So I thought you should join in on it. You might have you might have started the game because it's only once a day, and I don't know if it's um, like eleven hours after the first game. So you might have played the game 
in the future. But that the the gate the when we played, me and my friends played this morning, it was sugar. And so we all share our scores with each other. And today it took me to like the sixth try to finally get the word. And so if you get it within the second tr- second or third try, it's pretty cool. And some people like, you know, show their scores and they get it within the first try. I figure they have a friend who played it that day and told them that answer. And that's how they figure <laughs> out. But it's another well. it's another thing that we're doing during the pandemic. It's to kind of get our minds. And I don't know, I think it's kind of good because I'm learning new vocabulary words or coming up with words that never are in the English dictionary <laughs> or, th- th- you know, making me realize I make up a lot of words too. Uh, I, uh, I saw, I read somewhere that Donald Trump played it once. So it's something, it's probably the only thing in the world that uh, Romana and Donald <laughs> Trump have in common. Yeah. This game. Uh, and, but look, we're always trying to think of ways to unify America. So anti-vaxxers, this is something for you to play too. Eric Clapton and meet, well, meatloaf can't do it. But Eric Clapton, you can play it at Van Morrison. All right, Romana, uh, that, uh, oh, uh, any recommendation before we head out the door? Anything? I guess you already recommended. You. Yeah, I we you know we I talked about Secrets of Playboy. That's a more darker recommendation, but um, I think one of um, the more fun shows that's out there is called As We See It. It's about three young um, young adults who have um, autism. That's on Amazon Prime. That's that's a pretty good. It's a fun show. It's a heartfelt show, and it's kind of funny. I would recommend that for sure. And I started Ozark this week. For any of you fans who started Ozark, they just um, dropped seven episodes last week for the fourth season. And I'm also going to, I want to watch this Iranian movie. I'm a big fan of this Iranian director. Um, I think his movie had just fall. I think it came on Amazon Prime. It's called A Hero. So I want to see that. But I got to see those first and then I can talk about them in detail. But since we took up all the time with the Hugh Hefner doc, um, we, those are just my quick recommendations. I know there's a lot, but there's a lot going, coming on. They all come on at once. I, I started reading a book last week, but then my shows, I'm like, oh no, Ozark is coming on. I was actually asking a friend and my younger sister yesterday, did you guys start Ozark? And my friend's like, wait, it started already? And I'm like, yeah. So I think I, I started, wa- I, I watched three episodes or four episodes already. And I'm, so I'll almost be done by next week. But that's a good show too, if you're looking for something. And it's Chicago-centric, it has chicago you know, the family's supposed to be from Chicago, so... Let me ask you this. Could, could I just start watching it in the final season, or is it one of those where it requires no, having... I think it's good to start from the beginning, because then you'll get some of the characters and why some characters are that way. The acting's really good. Yeah, I, I saw, I think, the first episode, and then I, I don't know what happened. I never came back to it, uh, so... Sometimes I just want to cheat and skip to the end of the. I kind of. I, that's what I do with Larry David's show. I just start it. You know, I just go away. Oh, I'll watch this year. <laughs> that's, you know? that's a comedy. Uh, that's a comedy. So I think that's a little easier to like ease into. But um, the sh- the show, the the characters, you can see how they're you know moving and how they're thinking and how they've kind of changed. And there's some kids in it too, so it kind of shed shed light on something. So I would start from the beginning. I think you'll like it. It, it is a little unrealistic, of course, like all, a lot of these shows are, but I think you'll like it. Uh, what's the actor's name again? He's from... Uh, Jason Bateman. He's uh, he's Jason Bateman. He's basically uh, a child star from my generation. He's from my generation. He was on he was on um, Silver Spoons with um, Ricky Schroeder, yes. Ricky Kyle, Schroeder. Kyle Rittenhouse's boy. So... 
Yes. And uh, I know him from Arrested Development. But uh, anyway, Ramana Hussein, thank you very much. You, you seem to be thriving in your new job. Uh, we're never going to, I'll never do that again. I will never uh, say which one she wrote. But I had a, remember I sent you a text. I go, did you write that editorial? Uh, there was that distinctive Ramana voice was kind of edging out of that editorial. Uh, anyway, Ramana saying thank you so much for being on the show. It's always a blast talking to you. Uh, I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.